On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about the value of programmers outside of writing code. What's the future of programming? And how do you plan your career? All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. State of Control. State of Control, episode 73. Comfortable being uncomfortable. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED. Innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the AV industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So on today's show, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about what is the value of a programmer outside of writing code. And that might seem like an odd topic of conversation, but we're going to go with it. So with me to to have that talk are a few returning guests. And before I introduce them, I want to say hi to my partner here at Estate of Control, none other than Rich Fergosa, who is in his home studio today. How are you, Rich? I'm not in a vehicle. I, you know, it's a, we were just talking a minute ago about, you know, of course, in a pandemic, I think the only two site visits I've made this entire calendar year. And one of our shows was about remote programming. And ironically enough, I was in a vehicle. So um, it's good to see you. Mellow West Coast, uh, fire-ridden California greetings at this point. Uh, we are having uh, lots of smoke and weird fire issues, but we're keeping safe in my spot. So good to see everybody. Good to see you and glad you're home safe and sound. Next uh, friend and returning guest, somebody who we really value here at State of Control, he is Mark Lavecchia from BMA Software Solutions. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, brother. Glad to be here. Good to see all these faces on here. And uh, We don't have any fires up here in Northern Idaho. We have power too, Rich. So, And a lot of farm animals. Yeah, I can't... I, I apologize in advance if there's noises at my window that don't make sense to you. <laughs> and last but not least, a returning guest, and he's back for his second time. He did a great job his first go around, and he wanted some more. So he is John Mishner from Rocking M Coding. How are you, John? I'm good. We're just glad that the ice is out up here in Minnesota. So, you know, that happened last week, and now we can enjoy summer. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So as I said in the opening, uh, programming is more than just writing code. And those of us that are intimately involved with it, which I imagine are many of our listeners and those that care about the show, realize that there's a lot that goes into programming, but also programmers have uh, bring a a certain special value to to a project and to a relationship. So Rich, Let's start by talking a little bit about that. Um, how do programmers help to define and, and account for, for that value that, that they bring that, is, that goes beyond just writing code, which is, I think, something that is sometimes mistaken? Well, you know, I, I mean, the big part of it is the fact that if you pigeonhole, pigeonhole yourself as a programmer, 
Um, I, I think it depends on what you view your services at in the first place. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know very many straight contract programmers, like guys who show up at an office at nine o'clock in the morning, type out code all day long, clock in and at five o'clock they go home and then the next day they show up and type code and go away. Uh, you know, I mean, there is a industry, you know, of, of, you know, we, we call them code jockeys, right? You know, it's always been the, the vernacular of, of code jockeys out there who just bang out code all day long. Um, I think that what we're talking about right now and, you know, who we have assembled um, are technology companies and really putting a much more defined term on what a technologist does um, in, in either industry. Um, I, you know, I'm the first to admit, I, I learned how to program by default. Um, it was not what I was planning on doing as a career choice. I went to film school and, uh, you know, wound my way into this. Um, and, and I'm a competent programmer but there are guys who are really, really smart and really, really good at the programming side of things. However, what we've always felt that what we bring to the party as technologists is the ability to bridge the gap, taking the code side of things and bridging client relationships, budgets, timing, management, um, user interface design, usability testing, um, training, uh, you know, in, you know, uh, basically in, you know, live classroom discussions with technicians. And, and I, I, I think that it really comes back to, and we've said this before in many, many episodes, we've always had an identity crisis. You know, we've almost half-heartedly admitted that we're good at what we do. You know, we, we always kind of play down what we do. And a big part of it is to play up who we are as companies and individuals and organizations. And, uh, you know, if you just wrote code all day long, you know, I mean, we're, we're not web page makers. You know, I don't sit there and, and, and make web pages all day long. Now, you know, there are very, very good programmers who do that or, you know, write Python scripts for you to be able to hit a checkout button, you know, for, you know, some weird Amazon purchase. Uh, you know, we're technologists. And, uh, you know, and again, I like in, in my side is that I, I've always, coined and, and fashioned myself as a digital concierge. You know, my job is to get the client from point A to point B by any means necessary. And that's really what what you need to look at. And, and you know, my wife teaches entrepreneurship and, and, and she helps businesses. And she's been very adamant about explaining that, especially in our industry, you need to have that 30 second pitch about who you are. And I can guarantee that if you placed most of the people in our industry and said, give me your elevator pitch, they couldn't do it. Um, and that's where it starts. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think that is a big part is, you know, be proud of who you are, be proud of our industry. Um, and don't be afraid to say, yeah, we know a lot and we're not just the programmers. Yes, we are programmers and. So it's Mark, funny Mark. you say that about the elevator pitch because I know people ask me what I do for a living and I hum and haw and I stammer and I, you know, and instantly it's just like a conversation killer. They go, <laughs> nobody wants to know anymore. So I, I don't even have a good answer for what I do for a living. 16 years and I still don't have a good answer that <clears throat> applies universally. 
You know what I mean? Uh, I, if, it's, if I'm at Infocom, so, so somebody says, what do you do? I'm an independent controls programming firm. Oh, I know that. You write code. Still not right, but at least they have an understanding of where our place is in the universe. But if, if I'm you know, at a social party in the neighborhood, somebody says, what do you do? I have a small software firm. And I just say, oh, tech firm. Yes, yeah, tech firm. Yeah. Oh. Because <clears throat> what we do uh, has never been uh, considered relevant enough to be defined by the industry. Okay. Uh, and I'll give you an example, kind of going off of what uh, Rich was just talking about. That one of the areas where you want to be able to determine what we do beyond writing code is best defined when you see the interaction between our companies and those of us who work with systems integrators within the business. Now, not everybody does that. A lot of you work directly with end users and so forth, and the value is already established there. But a lot of times we get calls, we all get calls from an integrator saying, I have this project, I need you to do me a favor, get me a number to write the code. So you evaluate the project, you go through the bill of materials, you look at the scope of work, you do the functionality, you come back with the number, and immediately, not all the time, but a lot of time, the answer is, holy shimoli, where did you come up with this number? And that's not what we had internally. And, and the difference is what they did internally was they went to their in-house programmer and said, how long will it take you to program this? And the programmer looked at it and said, it'll take me about a day to program it. Well, yeah, it's going to take you a day to program it, but that's not all we do. We are there from the beginning of the project to make sure that everybody understands what the functionality of this job is, because if you understand it at the beginning of the project, then when it comes time to close the project at the end, and we're going button by button, system by system, everybody sees what was expected, and the sign-off is quick, and you're out on time and on budget. And so that part of the value of it is what I think gets lost, because people have a tendency to just associate us with oh, you write the code for that room, let me know how long it's going to take you to write that code. And it just is not that simple. So, Mark, I'll kind of follow up with you on that. Where is the responsibility held? And in, in what, what Rich was talking about is, do we not do a good enough job of explaining what we do? Do we not have enough pride or, or we do, do, do we... Do, like Rich was saying, we, we undersell, you know, and, and I say we, I mean, programmers and programming companies undersell the value that, that we provide. Is, is that something that we have to take on? Personally speaking, we could take it on if we want. I don't think anybody gives a crap. And, and that's just me being completely honest with you. And, and, and from my experience, what I've seen um, are the way to get people to understand and better appreciate and value what we do is not to tie it down to what we're doing from a functionality standpoint, but to put it in terms of dollar and cents. The best, most success I've ever had within my company in working with my clients is not showing them what we do, but showing them how it plays into their margins and how it is we can protect those margins when you go into the project. So when you come out of the project, the margins are still there because they may not understand code and they may not understand remote support or, or VPN or they may not understand anything that we do. But the one thing they do understand is margin. And if you talk to them in terms of being able to protect their margin and how you're going to protect their margin, and we have proven ways repeatedly, we could do an entire class just on how our programming affects your margins in a positive way. 
then you have more ears listening from the top of the organization to the bottom because that's the one thing everybody agrees on. But just to say, well, we, we, we should be valued. We should have, you know, more uh, people appreciating what we do and we should go out and promote that. I don't think anybody gives a crap. And I don't, I don't mean to be so blatant and um, pessimistic about it, but it always comes down to who you're dealing with. Who gives you the most value? If you think about it, who values you the most? They're the people that got stung by bad programming. And now they're coming to you, the end users coming to you and saying, we had a really bad experience here. And we'd like to hear what you would do to fix that experience. Now they understand your value. Now they see what you bring to the table. John, I'll, I'll bring you in on this. Is Mark, is Mark, Mark uh, on point there? Is, he, is it just about dollars and cents or, or is it about how we, we add to say an experience or how we can help make uh, a, a product better or, or you know it, it can, can value be demonstrated in other ways or or is it strictly come down to I you know ha have have this task and I need to get it done and I, I need somebody to do it so that it can be profitable and profit can be either found in the dollars and cents of somebody reselling it or somebody who who's actually buying it and it'd be profitable for them I, th I think it has to be both. I mean, we can show them that we can uh, save them, protect their margins, as Mark said. But at the same time, the value that we add to create a system as opposed to just a code is, is immeasurable in some aspects. I mean, I, I've always viewed myself and my company as a commissioning agent and programmer. So I'm there to create, make the system work as a total not just get the code and get the GUI designed right. And that's where I really see the value these days is the number of people who can do that seems to be lessening in our industry in a lot of ways. And to be able to go in and understand the gear, understand the way the gear needs to operate within the environment, and then to create code that allows that gear to operate that way and and commission the system in such a way that you know it's going to perform the best way possible for the end user one of the things i would add to that because that's a really good point in terms of understanding that that equipment um there's a lot of new equipment that's constantly rolling out now that we've that in my opinion that i've seen in, in, in a long time um, and our business has never been short on early adopters. And one of the things that, one of the values that we do bring that we should promote more often is the ability to identify those new devices and bring them in house and work with them internally so we can make the sausage here so that when we do work with the customer, we can come back to them and reliably tell them what that piece of equipment can or cannot do based on expectations. That doesn't always happen at all levels, but it's something that I think our industry is particularly good at, and we should promote more if we could. Uh, I'm with Mark on that. I mean, we dog food everything as much as possible here, and um, especially- Dog food, I like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's an old term, you know, it's an old software term is that, you know, you, you, know, you, you eat what you make, you know, you live with what you make. Um, but I'm, I'm totally with, with Mark on what he's talking about and, and what you're talking about, John, is that, you know, Honestly, you know, again, as an independent company, let's 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 not talk about programmers working for firms and you know for integrators and everything else. Let's let's say that you know right now we're talking about people who are third-party programming firms or they have a programming division and they're not necessarily doing turnkey. Um, 
I know Mark's, you know, uh, message without saying it overtly is, I'm not here to be the problem. I'm here to be the solution, right? I'm here to make you money, right? You know that if you call me, you don't have to call me again because it'll be done. I'll call you and tell you it's done. And I know for us, our, our biggest value, and again, it's a value proposition, right? We do work. Quality of our work, again, if, if you know, I think most companies are going to focus on the quality of their work or they're not gonna be around. You know, that's pretty simple. If you're not good, you're not gonna last. So all things being equal, um, it then comes down to the value proposition. Uh, I know that for me and, and, and my value to my integrators is you know, what, what Mark provides, which is we come in, we're a trusted resource. You don't have to worry about us. You know, uh, again, you're giving us the objective. You now know that if you don't even have any of your people on site, we've got it taken care of. And we will see the project today. And then what John was saying, we will commission, we will program, we will execute, we will QC, <laughs> and then we will go ahead and, and deliver for sign off. Um, I, you know, I know personally, I've got integrators right now. I mean, it, you know, like you were just talking about, Mark, you know, I, I am having to ramp up so quickly to speed with digital signal processing units and, and the interaction with programming now more this year than I have in the 10 years prior, because there's always been a DSP guy. There's always been somebody who dealt with the room combining and all of those other functions, but now they're integrated in our control systems. So all right. of a sudden I have a single point manufacturer who is handling the audio chain, the video chain and the control chain now. And since they all have that same name on the front, I'm now expected to know how they all work, which again, like Mark said, yeah. So what did the first thing I did? You know, again, I, I, I do 50-50, but the fact is, is that, you know, yeah, I don't see a lot of DSPs in Resi, but I'm gonna. All of a sudden, if I'm going to do commercial work, I need to have them in here. I need to figure out how you configure Dante. I need to figure out how AES 67 and Dante interrelate and don't. I need to figure out how audio breakaway works in room combining systems or in conference rooms and all of these things. And those are the companies that are constantly pushing the value that are saying, you're out right now. You know, you've got CARES Act money coming in. So you've got 50 projects that just came in of all of these schools that you got to do. You don't have enough people. So we're going to go ahead and work with you and be that value add proposition so that you don't have to bring two technicians to spend that time. Um, so, you know, these are brand new things to, to, to consider in the value proposition. And, and, and that's really what I mean about the identity crisis, right? It's not about saying we're, we're, we're code guys. It, it's we're here to make you money, save you money and get your job done. John, I'll, I'll um, want to get your take on this. You know, we, you were the first to say about being a commissioning agent and you were also saying that you have difficulty describing what you do. Is that is is that really truly the problem that that we that you know the identity crisis that we're discussing is what's holding us back? Is programming is being a programmer not the right word anymore? I think that's a a really good point. I mean, I hear the term personally. I hear the term developer a lot, 
and I don't understand what a developer is. I've never considered myself a developer. I'm a programmer. I crank code out, I go to site, I test it, I make the system work. So not knowing exactly where I fit into this, I just started calling myself, you know, considering myself more commissioning than developer. But I think as an industry, we seem to be branching off into two phases to where we have the developers, the nine to five guys who sit in the office and type. And then we've got the group of people who are going to site, who are trying to commission, who are trying to create that, the system usage as a whole. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I, I'm just not sure exactly what I am at this point anymore. So. And that, you know, I'll just throw in because I know that this is something that you can relate to is, you know, Rich brought up the whole idea of, of audio DSP and, you know, that tends to have a programming label, but it really isn't programming. You know, it's, it's configuration, it's, it's setup, it's design, it's, it's not programming, it, you know, and, and, but yet it, it, you know, what I've seen at least is that there's there's certainly an interconnection, whether it's because it's the same person that may do it in a firm or whether they're both done on a computer. I, I don't know how that association first started, but they're very different trades. And, and now more and more, it's not only you're setting it up, but now you're configuring the network. You're setting your switches so they can run Dante, so they can do the AES 67 streams. You're setting them so they can do the multicast streams from all of the various video over IP product. You know, we're adding an entire new set of problems or potential solutions to us as companies that we now have to provide these services. Mark, uh, I'll uh, want to get you to weigh in on this a little bit. You know, we talked a lot about different business terms. You know, the elevator pitch and the value proposition and all those types of things. Um, is the it, yeah, I, I know that we we you know that that making clients profitable and 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 making projects go smoothly that's really the crux of of what we've been doing for years. But is, is it is it time to change? Is it time time for us to change the the, the angle that we take and, and, you know, to be, be bold and maybe push a new identity. I think we always have to be changing, right? Otherwise <clears throat> you've heard it said a million times, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. Uh, and especially during these times of COVID when the business is, has leveled up for so many people, um, you, you have to be able to reimagine yourself and where you're gonna see yourself over the next two years, five years, 10 years in terms of what you bring to the table. Now, especially when you throw into the fact that every time I wake up in the morning, I, my alarm clock uh, goes off and it's programmed to wake me up with the words, no programming required, because that seems to be all I hear anymore. And when you hear that on a regular basis, that's, that's like going into a restaurant and, and, and you know telling the waiter, I can serve myself from now on. We both know that that's not true, but that's the message that's out there. So how do you adjust to that message and how do you get uh, yourself in a position to um, not have to rely on the things you've been doing and prepare for the long term of what's coming? Um, it's not something we're all very good at doing, and I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody by that. We've been brought into this business because of a need that's been established 
for us to be able to get to control systems and audio systems and to bring university solutions and asset management solutions to people. And now we have to kind of rethink where we're going. So where does that take us? Well, take a look at some of the languages that are coming out, right? You keep hearing people talk about Lua, you hear people talking about JSON, talk about all these different languages. And now we have to learn these different languages. Uh, what uh, Steve was mentioning, excuse me, um, uh, Rich was mentioning earlier, where before you had a company that was doing just DSP, now they're doing switchers and control systems, but they're doing it with different uh, platforms than we're used to. And so you now need to get used to those particular platforms and what we do to write add-ons for those platforms as well, plugins, modules, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so you have to be able to keep your eye on all of this and try to put your best sense in terms of where it's going so that you can prepare yourself for that future. I think it's one of the most challenging things for us to do. And, and I, I, I wish that my company was better at it. Uh, the good news for me is my guys are busy enough that uh, I don't always have to have them fill in holes with training on something. But we do need to be able to look at what's coming long-term relative to no programming required and adjust ourselves accordingly. I, don't, I, I may be talking completely opposite of what the rest of these guys agree with, but um, we have to hit the ball that's in front of us to stay alive and keeping our eye long-term on what, long-term isn't always five years, it's what I'm gonna see at Infocom next year. And that's what we have to prepare ourselves for, at least in my eyes. So Rich, um, what Mark said kind of makes me think of something our program do programmers exist because of the manufacturers and and granted yes we have to work with manufacturers equipment and and they give us the platform and that's how we make our money but but is is our, our i mean at least i know when i started my role was because you have these boxes that they, they didn't do a lot without having somebody write code and make them make them do something um is, is, is it time now to start thinking differently? I think it's been time. I think it was years ago that you needed to think differently. Um, I think that, you know, your, your company's survival depends on it. Uh, you know, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, again, and, and when I say these things, it's, it's not coming from a place of doom and gloom. It's, it's from, and I know Mark will agree with this and John will agree with this. It's from a place of opportunity. It's from a place of growth. It's from a place of um, maintaining where you are in the industry and growing where you are in the industry. I mean, between the four of us, we've got at least a hundred years of combined experience. You know, I mean, it, we we go way back. We we've seen that transition, and we've been fortunate. You know, each of us, you know, twenty five plus years at least, each of us, to change with the times. I know what my company offered in 1992 <laughs> is a lot different than what the company offers in 2020. Um, some things better, some things I probably wish I could have learned back then. And, you know, if, if I, if, if it passed me, if 1992 me could have grabbed 2000 me or 2010 me or even 2020 me and said, work on these things, you know, we would probably be, you know, in a different place as well, but I, I can't dwell on that part. I, I have to look at what am I willing to do now and in my company and my direction that I want to take as a 50 year old man and not a 20 year old man, instead of being at the start of my career, 
looking towards the twilight of my career. And that's a big shift for me personally, right? I'm now having to look at succession. Who, what happens after me? What do I leave behind? What kind of organization, if there's organ, an organization after I leave the industry? Um, and, it, and it's sobering in a good way because it does create that opportunity to say, you know, at 65, where do I want to be? So then bring that back and say, okay, where will this company be? You know, despite where the industry is going to be, you know, we've already had such huge differences in the past 15 years. And, you know, it's, it's, and especially right now in the middle of a pandemic, right? The world has changed. Um, whether or not you feel like doing it, it should be a time for companies to, to do some introspection and to say, what am I going to be collectively when I come out of this? Um, and and it's, it, it, it's daunting and exciting at the same time. And I go back and forth like every five minutes between the daunting part and the exciting part. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, I'm at the point now, and I know Mark is too, and, and, and you, I mean, all of us, we're being asked for advice. I, I, I was the kid. I was the one that was looking for advice. And I'm learning now that when people are coming for me for advice, I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing still. I'm still right. figuring it out. You know, I just play it off a lot better now with age. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it, 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 it really comes back to, you know, like you do with your, with your kids or with anybody coming up, you got to look and say, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be in that grand scheme? And then build up to it. And are you willing to work for it? And that's a huge part from an organizational standpoint. Are you willing to work for it? Because the excuse will always be, well, we're too busy. We've got this. We've got this. We've got this, right? I can't do that. Well, then you will be left behind because there will be organizations and individuals who will put in that work. You know, you got to out hustle. And, you know, my favorite line from, from Mark has always been, you know, you got to be willing to outkick your coverage. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it, football segue greatly appreciated because I, I just heard a phrase used during training camp uh, for my for my team that I've never heard before, and I, I found it to be uh, a very helpful little phrase uh, because what you're talking about, Rich, is we have to have conversations with ourselves and within our organizations, and maybe even within our industry, that are uncomfortable conversations to have because we don't have the answers and we don't like to admit that we don't have the answer. So it's easier for us to maybe put those conversations off a little bit than have those uncomfortable conversations. And uh, my team is, has a player that they are trying at four different positions. And what he was told by the coaches that they want him to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I thought that that was a telling conversation because that's something that I just took right to heart. I don't like those uncomfortable conversations, but what I think I need to do is to be able to have them more often and face the things that I'm normally afraid of facing so that I can get comfortable with those uncomfortable situations so that I can be more proactive. I don't mean to get philosophical on this, but it's definitely an issue that we face. Do we want to face where we're going and how we're going to get there, or are we afraid of what those answers are going to look like? 
I think that that's actually a good place to stop. <laughs> leave us with a <laughs> leave us with a with a cliffhanger. But I but I think that that's a good. Uh, it it. I mean, I think the nature of business itself, right, is per, per, you know trying to to be adaptable and and also think of what's next. And and that may be a good message to tell everybody for both how they're going to work, uh, maybe as an organization and also as an individual. Because if you're, you're not thinking, uh, you know, I guess they say if you're not uh, growing, you're, you're uh, dying. So, you know, we'll, we'll leave get it at that. Get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate the great conversation. I want to thank our guests for being part of it. Um, Mark Lavecchia from BMA Software Solutions. How can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, and also uh, check out your social following? Uh, my social following. Both of those people will be happy to tell you, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Levecchia. Uh, my website's bmasoftwaresolutions.com. Uh, but otherwise, if you just open up your window and yell, yo, Levecchia, I need your help, we'll be there. Excellent. <laughs> Next, uh, John Mishner from Rockingham Coding. How can people get in touch with you and learn about your company? Um, the website is rockingmcoding.com. Somewhere I've got a Twitter account that I know my marketing person knows how to access. I don't know that I do though. <laughs> and we know how to get in touch with her. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Last but not least, Rich, another great show. How could people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, and also learn from your many years of experience and uh, mentorship? Well, um, obviously, you can type my name into the interwebs and uh, various things will pop up. You can find me on Twitter at rfragosa. You can find us on the site, Fragosa Design. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, and as I always say, uh, the best way that I hope you can find me is here on our assorted shows on avnation.tv. Obviously, here with you, my good friend, Steve, and uh, or we've got AV Week, Resi Week, dot, 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 dot. Um, and, and obviously... Uh, supporting our sponsors. I do want to say though, first, uh, it's really important to me. And, and again, kind of in the introspection side is Mark. It's really good to see you. Uh, you're looking great, brother. And uh, it's, it's fantastic to have you back on the show. We love you very much, man. Appreciate it. I'm a Cheers blessed man that. and I'm happy for every day I'm here. So I appreciate that. And we, we are going to look for a sponsor for AARP or something like that after the number of years that Rich gave us. But I think we all have to own that. Uh, so we'll talk to Tim about that one. Uh, but if you want to learn more about me, you can visit my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net or check me out on social uh, at simply at Steve Greenblatt. But as Rich said, go to avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv to learn more about the show, Resi Week, that Rich is on. And, and Matt Scott hosts it's a, another compliment to uh, AV Week, Tim's show, all with quality information and a good way to stay on the pulse of the industry. And also keep in touch with everybody because right now we all need to stay in touch with each other and find different ways to, to connect and to hear each other's voices. Um, while you're at the site, visit the supporters that help to make these shows possible. And also do me a favor, reach out to us. Uh, we want to hear from you. So let, send us a note, send us a review, give us a comment, whatever you can do to let us know you're out there, you're listening and what you want to hear more of. But that's all we have for today on Data Control. 